Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is June 17th. In 1885, the dismantled Statue of Liberty, a gift of friendship from the people of France to the people of America, arrived in New York Harbor after being shipped across the Atlantic Ocean in 350 individual pieces packed in more than 200 cases. The copper and iron statue, which was reassembled and dedicated the following year in a ceremony presided over U.S. President Grover Cleveland, became known around the world as an enduring symbol of freedom and democracy. Intended to commemorate the American Revolution and a century of friendship between the U.S. and France, the statue was designed by French sculptor Frédéric Auguste Bartholdi, who modeled it after his own mother, with assistance from engineer Gustave Eiffel, who later developed the iconic tower in Paris bearing his name. The statue was initially scheduled to be finished by 1876, the 100th anniversary of America's Declaration of Independence. However, fundraising efforts, which included auctions, a lottery, and boxing matches, took longer than anticipated, both in Europe and the U.S., where the statue's pedestal was to be financed and constructed. The statue alone cost the French an estimated $250,000, more than $5.5 million in today's money. Finally completed in Paris in the summer of 1884, the statue, a robed female figure with an uplifted arm holding a torch, reached its new home in Bedloe's Island in New York Harbor on June 17th of 1885. After being assembled, the 450,000-pound statue was officially dedicated on October 28th, 1886 by President Cleveland, who said, We will not forget that liberty has here made her home, nor shall her chosen altar be neglected. Standing more than 305 feet from the foundation of its pedestal to the top of the torch, the statue, dubbed Liberty Enlightening the World by Bartholdi, was taller than any structure in New York City at the time. The statue was originally copper-colored, but over the years it underwent a natural color change process called patination that produced its greenish-bluish hue. In 1892, Ellis Island, located New Bedloe's Island, which in 1956 was renamed Liberty Island, opened as America's chief immigration station. For the next 62 years, Lady Liberty, as the statue is nicknamed, stood watch over the more than 12 million immigrants who sailed in New York Harbor. In 1903, a plaque inscribed in the sonnet titled The New Colossus by American poet Emma Lazarus, written 20 years earlier for a pedestal fundraiser, was placed on an interior wall of the pedestal. Lazarus's now famous words, which include, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, became symbolic of America's vision of itself as a land of opportunity for immigrants. Some 60 years after President Calvin Coolidge designated the statue a natural monument in 1924, it underwent a multi-million dollar restoration which included a new torch and gold leaf covered flame. It was rededicated by President Ronald Reagan on July 4th of 1986 in a lavish celebration. Following the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001, the statue was closed. Its base, pedestal, and observation deck reopened in 2004, while its crown reopened to the public on July 4th of 2009. For safety reasons, the torch has been closed to visitors since 1916 after an incident called the Black Tom Explosions in which munitions-laden barges and railroad cars in the Jersey City, New Jersey waterfront were blown up by German agents, causing damage to the nearby statue. Today, the Statue of Liberty is one of America's most famous landmarks. 
Over the years, it has been a site of political rallies and protests, from suffragettes to anti-war activists, has been featured in numerous movies and countless photographs, and has received millions of visitors from around the globe. And second, the Iron Workers Memorial Narrow, Second Narrows Crossing is also called the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge and Second Narrows Bridge is the second bridge constructed at the Second Narrows of Burrard Inlet in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Originally named the Second Narrows Bridge, it connects Vancouver to the north shore of Burrard Island Inlet, which includes the district of North Vancouver, the city of North Vancouver, and West Vancouver. It was constructed adjacent to the older Second Narrows Bridge, which is now exclusively a rail bridge. The first Narrows Bridge, better known as the Lionsgate Bridge, crosses Barrett Island about 8 kilometers west of the second Narrows. The bridge is a steel truss cantilever bridge designed by Swan Wooster Engineering Company Limited. Construction began in November of 1957 and the bridge was officially opened on August 25, 1960. It cost approximately $15 million to build. The bridge is 1,292 meters long with a center span of 335 meters. It is part of the Trans-Canada Highway, Highway Number 1. Then on June 17, 1958, as a crane stretched from the north side of the bridge to join the two cords of the unfinished arch, several spans collapsed. 79 workers plunged 30 meters into water. 18 were killed, either instantly or shortly thereafter, probably drowned by their heavy tool belts. A diver searching for bodies drowned later, bringing the total fatalities for the collapse to 19. In a subsequent Royal Commission inquiry, the bridge collapse was attributed to miscalculation by bridge engineers. A temporary arm holding the fifth anchor span was deemed too light to bear the weight. The bridge was renamed the Iron Workers Memorial Second Narrows Crossing in 1994 to honor the 19 workers who died in the collapse, along with the four others who died during the construction process. And finally, in the early morning of June 17, 1972, five men were arrested for breaking into the Democratic National Committee headquarters at the Watergate, an office hotel apartment complex in Washington, D.C. In their possession were burglary tools, cameras, and film, and three pen-sized tear gas guns. At the scene of the crime, and in rooms the men rented at Watergate, sophisticated electronic bugging equipment was found. Three of the men were Cuban exiles, one was a Cuban-American, and the fifth was James McCord, Jr., a former CIA agent. That day, the suspects, who said they were anti-communists, were charged with felonious burglary and in possession of implements of crime. On June 18th, however, it was revealed that James McCord was salaried security coordinator for President Richard Nixon's re-election committee. The next day, E. Howard Hunt Jr., former White House aide, was linked to the five suspects. In July, G. Gordon Liddy, finance counsel for the committee for the re-election of the president, was also implicated as an accomplice. In August, President Nixon announced that a White House investigation of the Watergate break-in had concluded that administration officials were not involved. In September, Liddy, Hunt, McCord, and the four Cubans were indicted by a federal grand jury on eight counts of breaking into and illegally bugging the Democratic National Committee headquarters. In September and October, reporters Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward of the Washington Post uncovered evidence of illegal police political espionage carried out by the White House and the Committee for the Re-Election of the President, including the existence of secret fund kept for the purpose and the existence of political spies hired by the committee. Despite these reports, a growing call for the Watergate investigation on Capitol Hill, Richard Nixon was re-elected to president in November in 1972 in a landslide victory. In January 1973, five of the Watergate burglars pleaded guilty and two others, Lydia McCord, were convicted. At their sentencing on March 23, U.S. District Court Judge John J. Sirica read a letter from McCord charging that the White House had conducted an extensive cover-up to conceal its connection with the break-in. 
In April, Eternal, Attorney General Richard Kleinheist and t- two top White House advisors, H.R. Haldeman and John Ehrlichman, resigned, and White House Counsel John Dean was fired. On May 17, 1973, the Senate Selection Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities, headed by Senator Sam Irvin of North Carolina, began televised proceedings of the rapidly escalating Watergate affair. One week later, Harvard Law Professor Archibald Cox was sworn in as a special Watergate prosecutor. During the Senate hearings, former White House legal counsel John Dean testified at the Watergate break-in had been approved by the former Attorney General John Mitchell with the knowledge of the White House advisors Ehrlichman and Haldeman, and that President Nixon had been aware of the cover-up. Meanwhile, Watergate prosecutor Cox and his staff began to uncover widespread evidence of political espionage by the Nixon re-election committee, illegal wiretapping of thousands of citizens by the administration and contributions to the Republican Party in return for political favors. In July, the existence of what would be called the Watergate tapes, official recordings of White House conversations between Nixon and his staff, was revealed during the Senate hearings. Cops subpoenaed those tapes, and after three months of delay, President Nixon agreed to send summaries of his recordings. Cox rejected the summaries, and Nixon fired him. His successor, a special prosecutor, Larry Jaworski, leveled indictments against several high-ranking administration officials, including Mitchell and Dean, who were duly convicted. Public confidence in the presidential committee president rapidly waned, and by the end of July 1974, the House Judiciary Committee had adopted three articles of impeachment against President Nixon, obstruction of justice, abuse of presidential powers, and hindrance of the impeachment process. On July 30th, under coercion from the Supreme Court, Nixon finally released the Watergate tapes. On August 5th, transcripts of the recordings were released, including a segment in which the president was heard instructing Haldeman to order the FBI to halt the Watergate investigation. Four days later, Nixon became the first U.S. president in history to resign. On September 8th, his successor, President Gerald Ford, pardoned him from any criminal charges. You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I thank you for listening, and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeopleHistory.com The Statue of Liberty at History.com Canada's Second Narrows Bridge Collapses at PressBooks.BCCampus.ca And the Start of Watergate at History.com the music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana, created by Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com. If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing, as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day.